Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Jay. This is Amber. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of minding your own business until you're abducted and put onto a world that's covered with glaciers. This week, we're talking about the fringeworthy race, the Erders, from the planet Erd, which is a prime. Is that to the left or the right, John? I think it's the right. To the right of Earth Prime in the fringe where the... No, maybe it's a jump to the left. And then a step to the right. Yeah, Step to the right. <laughs> Let's do the time warp. <laughs> it is one of the nearest Prime worlds to Earth Prime. It is one of the worlds that is considered a big supporter of IDET. Back to the uh, Erders. This says their voices are mostly bass, which uh, I think is, again, a, a nod to the dwarves. Bigger chests. Short people don't necessarily have, you know, more bass. And then we move on to the senses. Their sense of smell and their vision is poor, and they have no other adjustments on taste, touch, and hearing. I always have a problem with if the smell and taste are different because those, are, those two senses are linked. You lose one, you lose the other. If you lose your sense of smell and taste, I want to say it's Anmosia, N-M-O-S-I-A. And I think the, the late lead singer of NXS suffered from that. If they have worse smell, okay, as far as their ability to, to detect smells, that would make their food more spicy because they would want to spice it up so they could taste it better. And if they are placed down in Asia and in, in the Americas, South Americas, you know, there's things called peppers. I think Thai food is hot. You think, uh, 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 what, what Chinese food is that? Um, uh, Sichuan is hot. You never had an Erd meal. <laughs> so the Erders are going to be tearing it up on the Schofield scale. Okay, gotcha. Or just more spiced. You could have, like, peppermint. I've had gingerbread that was mostly ginger, and believe me, it burned when I ate it. They're probably going to have food that's a little bit more on the in-your-face than others. Not always. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, bread is bread. You can- a minus one is not that bad. There would be a tendency to have probably a little bit more of a spiciness to their food because they like that. They might want to have things like more incense because they might want or they might like flowers that have a stronger smell. Well, here, here on, the, on the font of all knowledge, they say that the sense of taste is often confused with a sense of flavor, which is a combination of taste and smell perception. Flavor depends on odor, texture and temperature, as well as on taste. If you lost your sense of smell and you licked a lollipop, it wouldn't taste like cherry. It would taste sweet with a little bit of sour in it, maybe. It wouldn't taste like cherry, but but you could still taste it. So even if you lost your sense of smell, there's still something going on with your taste buds. They still provide something to you. It's just the depth of all that. You're losing flavor, but you're you're keeping taste, if that makes sense. Sure. Actually, Paul, Paul, bring it up. Bring it up, Paul. Bring it. Bring it. Actually, I, I think it's completely the opposite. I think their food is bland. I lived in Spain. Spaniards don't like spicy foods. And they, if they don't have colonies and they don't have regular trade with Central America or if we've been there, they don't have capsicum peppers. There's no habanero in the sandwich. And if they aren't making it around the, the Horn of Africa and going all the way to India for trade, and I don't think there's anybody there to trade with, then... 90 other, 90% of the other spices just left their palate. So you're left with lemongrass and salt. Until they get in contact with the fringe worlds and then start buying it from uh, Prime Earth. Right, but that's sudden revelation. 
Wouldn't they still have the Spice Road? That's under ice, actually. If there's somebody the other end to trade with. Well, not only that, they would still have the Spice Road, but why would you go there? There's nobody on the other side of it to trade with. It's like going to the far side of a parking lot. You can, but why? But looking at that vegetation map, actually, India would be a great place to drop a colony. Because it's, it's fairly lush and verdant and green at this point in time. Stuck there. <laughs> you can't get out until you develop uh, ocean-going vessels. Right. And we don't know where their core colony is. The same for any place, really. It makes a big difference whether we say, hey, they're taking these people in small groups and shotgunning them throughout the world. And, or we're saying, hey, we put 100. If they did that. If they did that, then we shoot the 1930s tech in the head because they wouldn't have developed the uh, population density to support it and create it. So they have to pick one spot that's fairly good to grow, that's fairly easy to grow crops, and it's probably a game. The game, of course, is going to be a little bit stronger because it's on a higher G world, and they're going to have to learn to shoot all over again because their arrows are going to fall short because they're not pulling them hard enough. That would be resolved within a few weeks their entire science of ballistics would be somewhat different. But I would tend to want to pick one good area and say that there's a capital city there and then spread the rest of the folks out in kind of a fine mist all over the world. In that case, I'd pick India because India supports a large population as it is right now. The monsoons would still be happening. They may not be as strong as they are now, but they'd still be happening because the the landforms are still there, and this is a big world. It probably has a, enough heat engine still out in the middle of the ocean to drive drive storms. I, I got something here that just came up. Who was it that mentioned about ballistics kind of sucking us world? Uh, it would be different. I don't know if you could say that it would suck. Once you inject enough n- enough energy into a projectile, it would hit a lot harder. Well, okay, well, Paul, you are a resident military guy. Would you say then that even for 1930s tech, the air's ballistics would be, and Bruce can edit this if you, if you like, would their ballistics be just kick-ass because they would have to make better gunpowder to propel that bullet farther? I'd take gunpowder off the table. They don't even know what it is. 1930s, tech, they would have gunpowder. By now, gunpowder was brought back. Developed in China. And it didn't reach Europe until the 800s. You can't say that nobody would have stumbled into it later. It's saltpeter. Charcoal, sulfur. I mean, that stuff is all over the place. No, no, ours is ours is Blixpeter. We have Blixpeter, not saltpeter. But um, um. but your Indo-European cultures didn't play around with fireworks or have a reason for them, and there's no there's no religious or cultural thing that shouldn't build bonfires and things like that. You have to have a need. No, the Germanic tribes had bonfires. They they had the Celtic influence. Well, we know that that, that they have the culturally they have a great love for technology. Well, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Mechanical engineering, gunpowder would come into there somewhere. Thinking they might they might go backward. Pneumatics, air guns. Pneumatic guns have never been successful. What I'm thinking is they might have a really good mechanical uh, set of, set of crossbows and things, and they might have actually come back come at it backwards from steam. A steam powered crossbow would put a arrow through people in a bad, bad way. Part of the reason they developed gunpowder was to move fireworks. Later, somebody thought that, uh, this w- that this would make a good engine if you replaced expanding steam with expanding gunpowder. And after blowing up a few engines that way, that's when they started using gasoline and oil. What we might see is we might see steam engines and then somebody saying, how could I put more bang into the cylinder and start experimenting with the chemicals that way? in order to drive an engine harder. So we might wind, wind up uh, developing it backwards from steam into alcohol, into coal, coal dust, and then somebody comes up with a chemical concoction that roughly equals gunpowder to make cylinders move really fast and then works from there into guns. Yeah. Except that guns come before engines. In our process, yeah. The mathematics for ballistics and to make and refine the math to bring algebra and stuff like that led to finer tools, better forms of measurement, and more precision that allowed you to make engines with fit parts. Uh, Okay, but you're saying they wouldn't have ballistics for uh, ballistae and the trebuchets and and the heavy. Yeah, they do. They have gunners, quadrants, and things like that. 
So they would probably develop the mathematics from the mechanical systems they were making. The truth mathematics came from, you know, putting a little gunpowder in a barrel and letting it go and seeing how far it went and then trying to figure out how much you need. And that required more mass than this basically an extra turn on the capstan on the Scorpion before you let loose with the, with the arrow. There's a difference between throwing a one-ton rock 1,000 yards and throwing a one-ton projectile 22 miles. Sure, but those are all, those are all very late developments of the mechanical engineering craft. Okay, What I'm saying is if you have the mechanical engineering craft, you can work backwards into earlier expressions of guns from uh, more advanced mechanical engineering. I'm not saying it's necessarily primitive guns into more advanced mechanical engineering. It might look a lot different from what from how we developed it, but I'm not saying it's an impossible process. Okay, the gravity that, you know, ballistics would kind of suck because you'd fire the bullet and the bullet just would not go as far. I was just going along the plane of logic that the errors would have to make better propellants, which means their gunpowder would be... That means if you were to take a heavy and earth-made gun and fire it on Earth Prime... All the damage it would do. Uh, I'm think yeah, I'm thinking you're, you're looking at the uh, nitro rounds and the and the heavy uh, anti anti bison hippo and elephant guns they had in Africa. Well, yeah, I mean that I I, I understand that yes, but still, just imagine the damage potential of a Erder's gun on Earth Prime. Right. Then they're not using gunpowder. What they're using is nitrocellulose. Where the big African game cartridges just get their nitro part of their name 600 nitro and stuff like that they weren't using gunpowder this i'm deferring to you on this paul <laughs> i'm just saying for the erders they've got two problems to overcome one is 1.2 gravity and two is a denser atmosphere i'm thinking that paul may be right we may see really really good uh, short crossbows and really excellent mechanical leverage weapons bows and and crossbows and things like this we might not have seen uh, gunpowder until they saw the weapons that the Fringeworthy brought in. Then they said, oh, wait, we could do that too. So if you've got a thicker atmosphere, that means arrows, if the aerodynamic things fly better. Mm-hmm. Because um, they have more of an atmosphere to, to float upon. So you're talking about big, heavy bows. Now, mind you, 1.2 gravity, so their, their range is shorter, but it could be offset with uh, a bigger fletching. Guns may be trying to get a hold, and arrows are still dominating the field because they're just they're better in this atmosphere. You know, you might have big, big, heavy arrows just tearing everybody apart. Or arrows that are more aerodynamic, and they actually take advantage of the fact that they actually can generate some lift. Well, yeah, I mean, you would have to have that, but I'm just saying they they would probably, for one, they would probably be kind of big in that they would need the momentum to carry them the distance. Yeah, the fletching would be different, too, because the fletching helped them fly straighter. Putting the feathers on the back of the arrows helped them, you know, straighter. So, yeah, archery would even be different on an airder world. You know, it's not 15 pounds PSI at sea level. It's going to be much greater. You might get more lift, but you're going to get a lot more drag. I think what you're going to find is you're not finding any range weapons smaller than a ballista. Hand weapons, hand crossbows, and the longbow are just given up on because you only you can only throw an arrow 100, 200 yards, and it's just not worth the, the effort. So they just go at it with axes and swords. Yeah, so we are really looking at D&D dwarves because they're going to be using things like axes, warhammers, and whatnot. I got to disagree there because the main use of a ranged weapon would be hunting. You would not be carrying a ballista around to hunt deer. Oh, no, sporting, you hunt deer with a bow. Sporting, you hunt deer with a rifle. If you want to eat, you run them off of a cliff, or you build a pit trap, or you use a snare. Or you herd them. Hey, or, or in their case, you herd them. Oh, here we go. All we really know is, is that if they did engage in warfare uh, in their 2,000-year history, definitely having the high ground would be a much bigger advantage. Ooh. Well, you come from Earth Prime, you're gonna you're you're not gonna feel the effects of gravity on your endurance because you're going to be super oxygenated. Yeah, but your ears will pop when you step through the portal. <laughs> uh, much better to go to heavier, more oxygen than to go the other direction. Oh uh, yeah, at first it could. Okay, that that's something I want to bring up. I mean, we've been talking about all the science and everything. 
We do have two different versions of Fringeworthy out there, the D20 version and the upcoming Savage Worlds. How players, their PCs would be affected by that, I'm sure the rules would come into play. What, how it would affect the player characters? I mean, John and Blix, they have the, the, the Savage Worlds part down, and we discussed this before the show. Hey, I've got hard copy here for the D20 stuff, how they do it, both D20 Future... And actually, Dragonstar from Fantasy Flight Games deals with uh, high and low gravity. Excuse me, I'm looking at the future SRD, and I'm looking at their high gravity environments. A minus 10 penalty? Gah! That is for strength checks for, like, a break DC. Dead is to move a heavier unsecured object. So anything below your first uh, encumbrance band is essentially free anyway. So you'd have to roll a 10 to move something heavy. It ungranulates at that low level. But when you're talking, you know, 40-pound weight, then you're, you're talking probably taking a second try to lift it. I'm taking this direct out of D20 Future pages 81 and 82. Yeah, see, uh, John and I are working off the SRD, which eliminates all of the fluff. So a lot of the explanation of how it's supposed to work is gone, too. I'm not doing the fluff either here. This is right out. This is you get minus five to all your uh, minus five feet to all your speeds. Your carrying capacity is halved, and take a minus ten to any strength check made to lift or move a heavy object. Minus ten penalty on strength-based skill checks such as climb, jump, and swim. Minus two attack penalty in a high gravity environment unless they're native. What qualifies as a high gravity environment? Greater than one g. In Dragonstar, they call it one point two to two point oh. Two point oh g. There's a big difference between 1.2 and 2.0. In the uh, D20 modern SRD, I'm not seeing anything to tell you how much heavy is heavy and how much heavy is heavier than heavy. We might have to go ahead and make something up. Yeah, there's no radiation between 1.1 and 2.0. You also have the same problem in reverse. In the light G, you don't have any gradation between 0.8 and 0.6 and 0.2. Oh, here, here's the thing that would really be good. You're playing an Erdor, and you're on Earth Prime. You're throwing people around left and right, because I got the rules for low G. Okay, I'm an Erdor, and I'm on Earth Prime, or I'm on a 1.0 G world. It's going to be throwing people left, right, and center. And He's also going to be knocking things over and not being able to catch them. He's going to be clumsy, because things aren't going to be falling right. You want to kind of impose a, uh, impose a, a an adjustment potter. I don't know. They're not falling as fast. From his point of view... I'm willing to bet a dollar that if we all move to a 0.8G environment right now, it would take some of us three to four days before we got to the point where we weren't dropping things behind it. Well, no, yeah, because there are long-term effects for being in a different gravity. If you were more than 120 hours in a heavy G environment, you take 1D6... Points of temporary dex damage upon returning to normal gravity. How often does temporary dex damage heal? I believe one point per day. That sounds like right. You take one one d six off your and come back one comes back for one per day. Yeah, and and by the end of you know three four days, you're probably back at back at mostly normal. I mean, for them, it's everything's falling and moving at twenty percent slower speed. I mean, normally for them, gravity is eleven point seven. No, 11.4 meters a second squared. Which means if you knock something off, you put your hand where you expect it to be, and it's not there. And then it falls in your hand. Are you still moving through that point? I agree with Jay. Where's your balance at that point? I mean, on a lighter world, the objects, when they get disturbed, are going to move further than you expect, and you're constantly going to be snapping your hand behind the object instead of getting your hand in front of it. That's that's going to be how you accommodate it. You're going to learn to say, hey, i got to get in front of it and catch it, so when it doesn't do what I expect it to do, I've got some room to maneuver. But you're going to be doing a lot of problems like that. You're, you're always going to be expecting things to fall not as far as you expect. You know, you're going to be running up to the net and the guy's going to knock the ball over your head. Well, yeah, yeah. That's going to do it anyway because you're short. You're constantly going to expect the arc of anything moving to be sharper, more parabolic. A change in gravity it means that you're clumsy for a while until you adjust to it. Right. Whichever way you go. Plus, plus or minus, yeah. There it is also when they, when they first step out to the platforms, they bounce 
more. They they walk with a bouncing step because for them it's it's twenty percent lighter. It's point eight G. I mean, they're not walking around like John Carter did when he first got to Mars, but yeah, in D twenty terms, they'd have a plus five feet to their all their speeds. Yeah, I, I already experienced this. Okay, I've gone on hikes with the Boy Scouts. You <laughs> drop that forty pound pack off your back, and you feel like amazing. <laughs> dancing around, you're hopping up on top of stumps and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, the sensation. You're preaching to the choir. I do medium daily physical labor, carrying around a lot of five-gallon pails and struts and gas tanks. And after a while, yeah, you're, <laughs> you'd set that down. You want to move a little quicker because you've been weighed out all that time. Yes, I feel your pain. <laughs> well, how many people blow out their backs doing that, by the that doesn't happen with hiking because you wear appropriate gear. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about, where there would be a long-term, where a higher percentage of the population would have things like bad backs and stuff like that because of that. Wouldn't the herders have an endurance penalty? Being as a higher gravity, they're not going to want to get up and run or walk long distances. It would be tiring. They're probably not accustomed to walking more than a mile in an entire day. They're given a strength bonus and a con bonus. It would be a wash. I think people that would uh, that had grown up in that and were used to it would tend not to see it that way. Yeah, it would be a wash. They'd be st- personally stronger, but it would be more of a challenge. So it would, yeah, it would wind up of a wash. No, 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 no. Not strength, endurance. Saying I can pick up a 500 pound weight and do us clean with it, but I'm not going to walk 10 miles with 500 pounds. We're talking about a, a smaller adjustment there, and I think that uh, you'd see kind of a, an overall kind of genetic screening effect where some people just wouldn't want to push against that 20% heavier wall, but other people would do it because that's all they ever knew. It's what they have to do. And so eventually what you'd get overall over time would be a bunch of people who'd go ahead and walk five miles under you know, when they weighed 20% more than they ought to, just because they didn't know they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the real issue is their stride because they're shorter. That's what makes the going the distance worse. Also, the arches on their feet. Then we get into that long-term adjustment thing, and really, I don't think that's a lot of fun for role-playing. Uh, way I look at you're Superman for the first week or so, then it starts wearing off. By the time within a month to six weeks, you you no you longer know benefit from the bonus. What is the IDET headquarters in Alice Springs? A face prints all over the side of it. Somebody showed the uh, Erders a Superman comic, and they bet each other they could jump over it in a single bound. Oh, this is the place you send IDET soldiers to train. They spend a year here. They come out. They can punch their way through walls for at least for a week or so. If they don't die of a cerebral hemorrhage in the meantime, John, I don't. I, don't, I really don't get how you think that all that muscle mass just suddenly disappears after a week. I mean, they if they had it before, they still have it. It atrophies. It do, it does atrophy. No, I, I don't believe it. It doesn't atrophy in a week, but yeah, after after a year or two years in a low gravity environment, they would have a bad adjustment process getting back up to normal gravity. For those of you who have seen Wally, how after a while the people on board the Axiom had lighter bone density, and they were all in those chairs because they were lesser G. That's because they were all slugs and lazy people. But still, the, the lighter gravity did have a play in that, so they would have a bit of a problem taking a while. As far as the muscles atrophying, it wouldn't disappear within a week. Just look at our astronauts. They don't lose all of their muscle mass for being out in space for a week. Well, I never said in a week. I said more like a month to six to six six weeks. I still wouldn't think so. And even even if they do start to atrophy, just activities, walking, moving, moving your muscles would delay it even further. Unless they're sitting there and literally not moving the entire time, it's going to be a slow process of atrophy. We know that they're driven by a strong work ethic, so we know they're going to be working out, getting stuff done. Yeah. Even when it might be easier to sit back and, and create a facilitative type devices, just the way they are, and that's why they get the bonus. 
Yeah, but, but I still say that's what are going to send, you know, if you're going to have, if, if when the uh, Unidas starts creating their own troops, they're going to be sending to Earth for basic training so they all get that extra muscle mass. Yeah, and it's overall muscle mass, and that's a good thing. Hey, uh, okay, John, I cranked out the D20. What would it be for operating in 1.2 gravity for an Earth primer in Savage Worlds rule set? Well, they don't actually cover that, so we you'd, you'd have to actually make stuff up again. I would say the person would suffer a minus two penalty to his strength and his dexterity just because things fall faster and he's not as strong. Yeah, initially somebody would have a uh, dex penalty, but over time they would tend to adjust for it. But I'm thinking this may be good for a thread on the, uh, on the forum is, you know, to make up the uh, granulated specific rules for adjusting gravity in D20 and adjusting gravity in uh, Savage Worlds. And the inverse would be, Earthers going into a 1G world would probably get actually a bonus to their strength. I'd give them a plus two to their strength. Yeah, they're throwing people around. Amber's probably the only one that wouldn't remember the series with Gil Gerard, Buck Rogers, and you had the one heavy G guy throwing people around and Buck's just flying left, right, and center. Oh, yeah, on my world, I was a librarian. Here, I can do all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and he was like a guy in his 60s, and he's just tossing these people like they're dolls. I'm taking it that there aren't very many... I mean, there, I think there's a few worlds that have higher gravity on the fringe paths, but most of them are baseline 1.0G. Therefore, you get herders out on the fringe, and I think the fringe platforms might have like a point. 9.8G or something like that. I don't think they're quite 1.0 gravity. Yeah, they're just slightly under. They'd make wonderful uh, pro football quarterbacks, wouldn't they? But that's one reason why they're listed as being the heavies, because they are different than most of the other races in the game. You could apply these rules, and a lot of them would just, well, tear it up. Hand-to-hand combat, they would be a little more effective than normal, because... Yeah, they may, they may not hit you, but when you do, there's a better chance you're going to be blood soup if they contact you. Yeah, they're going to jump higher. That's included in that strength bump. In D20, they get a bonus to hit and a bonus to damage. I also give them a bonus to their dexterity because for two reasons. One, they grew up in a world where things fall faster, so they have quicker reflexes. Two, and second, they have smaller arms, therefore they're quick. They're not going to be fast. They're not going to be fast runners. But they're going to be quick. They'll be faster than you are in, in terms of punching and so forth. So I would always want to say give them a quick edge, and you'll be always going first in combat. Oh, Paul brought up something really good that just it just it makes the role player me go squee. Errors are carrying the M60. Aw, yeah. <laughs> I watched the Rambo, yeah. Well, these guys, because, you know, if they're on a normal world, because strength uh, under D20 is linked into jumping. You you'd see these guys taking, like as you said, like like the big maces or whatever. They'd be jumping up in the air and coming down <laughs> with a swing, you know, with the, with the extra height and the extra mass and just doing a pile driver on people. That's where it starts looking like those uh, movies with all the dwarves in them. Yep, absolutely. I would think you'd be giving them, oh, God, what is it? I'm blanking. The pounce attack. Because if they can, if they get an add to their movement, they could probably do the jump and full attack instead of just, okay, you, your jump is your move action, one attack. Death from above. Yeah, that type of thing. The troll slayer attribute? Yeah, it, it's called the pounce attack in the monster manual where you get to make a full attack after a move action. You get all your attacks, normal attacks, and that's really referring to the monster-like bite, you know, claw-claw bite routine after you do a movement. Tail slap, tail slap, wing buffet, buffet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got all that, you can certainly make use of it. We gave the pounce attack to the Mellor, remember? Oh, yeah. Thinking about your right, probably within a year or so, that plus two may turn to a plus one. The dexterity... It's going to still stay plus two because it's more mechanical than anything else. But, John, in a role-playing game, it's never going to happen. So whatever the bonus is, you're going to keep it forever. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, very few people are tolerant of, of those kind of time changes to their characters. Okay, so we've got a temperature range of 40 degrees to 95 degrees Fahrenheit. I would have thought it would have been colder. No, because you still have the equatorial areas. They're still going to be warm despite an ice age. Oh, yeah. And we already talked about that you might want to be down there because of the ice age. It just means that period of 90 degrees is really brief. They have a very short summer. 
very short growing season. Oh, yeah. oh, God, yes. Very short summer. You're right there, Paul. Looking at where the portals are placed on this world, four of the portals are warps. If, if you turn them on and you're going to be standing in the middle of an ice sheet, the nearest dry land, or at least solid land, is going to be like uh, maybe a thousand miles away. <laughs> I, w- I would tend to write that up as screw that and move on to the next portal. Up in Alaska, you know, in the summertime, it does get to be 90-some degrees there sometimes. Oh, yeah, I have, a, I have a listener on my show. She's up in Fairbanks, and yeah, right now they're having 80 degrees up there. Yeah, so that's not, that's not crazy. <laughs> and people are fainting left and right. No, they're used to it. It's not that you get summers that don't quite hit the highs. It's that they're so much shorter. And when winter, go, winter hits its low, it's much lower, and it's much longer, and it's much darker, and it's much colder. That is a personal preference of mine. At that, I'm sure the earners would find it pleasant. Okay, well, Jay, I'm not sure I understand that because if they're being forced into the equatorial area, why would the months be any shorter or long? I mean, it would think that your growing seasons, if anything, would be longer. If they're in the equatorial area, yeah, they'd see almost no seasonal variation because at the equator there isn't much. And their longest nights are nothing like our longest nights because it's 20 hours. Yeah, so it's only six hours long, yeah. Yeah. It, it's 10 hours long instead of 12 hours long. It's two hours shorter, but yeah. That would mess with your head so bad. Your diurnal period, your internal circadian clock, these guys must have been insomniacs for the first 20 or so years before they finally got themselves synced to the local time. But I thought your diurnal period was 40 hours, which is twice a, a, a standard day on this planet. The people in caves who have been completely cut off from light, it can shorten down to as much as 21 hours, but it can also lengthen to as much as long as 30, 30 hours. We are tied to a 24-hour period, so going to a shorter day-night cycle would definitely screw with their internal uh, clocks though, for a while until, until everyone gets synced. Just one more thing to go pray about. <laughs> going down to society their attitude generally is indifferent which means that they don't blow hot and cold they tend to be very even temperament as a people i think it's interesting under the allegiance they've got a 55 under moral i would have thought that would have been higher which basically means that they're slightly more ethical than an equivalent culture over on earth but not by much even though they're christians it doesn't make them necessarily better people than the Christians on any other world. They're Christian pagans. They worship God Woden. <laughs> I don't think so, but they, certainly they were acknowledged Woden out in the forest somewhere. Well, I can't remember the German name for Thor, but they probably had Thor Jesus. Did you guys know that, that the first crucifixes worn were in the Germanic areas, and the crucifix was laid on top of Thor's ha- the symbol of Thor's hammer? Because they were so afraid to, to give up completely on Thor. That was a, a compromise that they made. Hmm. That's very interesting, Peter. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they're Christians, but they're not your homegrown Christians. They might have a little trouble in Pat Robertson's church. Yeah, a little bit. They are definitely a, a different sect. <laughs> okay, so under available skills, we got mechanical engineering, woodworking, basic electricity. And not chemistry. There goes your gunpowder. But at the same time, building better materials for building things like better steel and other things which would be necessary under this higher gravity still requires you having some basic chemical analysis abilities. So, uh, you know, the chemistry may lag a little bit, but, uh, you know, in comparison to the mechanical, but I still think it would be there. Like electricity? Unless you're talking all Leyden jars, uh, they got generators, and those require high-tolerance t- high ball bearings and lubrication. So you definitely have to get some sort of oil, and you can't use whale oil. And under those conditions, whale oil will just simply disintegrate. You have to use petroleum-based oils. Could be they're digging up coal and liquefying that. Could be. Ooh, liquefied coal. Yeah, it's not bad. It's going to be probably oil in this world, too. I mean, it's, it's Earth just bigger. There's no reason not to have oil. Yeah. The natural resources on this world would be oh so plentiful then if it's 1.4 times larger. Well, also, there haven't been people stomping all over it for the whole time, so a lot of things have gone unexploited. But they're in the wrong locations. Right. A lot of those resources are locked under the ice. 
you'd have drilling platforms on top of the ice instead of out in the oceans. And if you did have them out in the oceans, the lower sea level would make it even easier to do that drilling. Oh, yeah. What about the Middle East? It's putting them more toward the physical sciences as far as the tech is concerned rather than the the chemical side of it. They probably just gave up gunpowder early on because it wasn't any more efficient at throwing a rock than a trebuchet was. Yeah. I think that air-powered, I mean, if they have to build better steel and stuff like that, they might be able to produce some pretty high-powered air tanks. And air power might serve its purpose very well, which would also work with the hydraulics. You can have technologies and, and have all the components there and just not see it. The Romans and the Greeks had steam power staring them in the face, and they just didn't see it. And they had mechanical computers, the Anakithika device, which was found near Greece. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, stop. The Romans also technically a difference engine? Yeah. Yeah. The Antikythera device. Yeah, yeah. A celestial calendar that worked with through, gear, through gearing and so forth. So they think. It was a really remarkable find. It was wow. It's really destroyed, but they could tell from the pieces that it was a very, very advanced mechanical device. Oh, wow. That I did not know. Yeah, they had everything. They just, they didn't have a middle class to drive their, their technology, really. They basically had the rich, and they had the poor, and they had the slaves. There really wasn't a middle class to take advantage of this kind of technology. Let, let's also never forget the role of mother necessity. The Romans would use technology. There was a factory complex they built. It was like 10 watermills in a row for making flour in Spain. And they found something similar ones in Rome itself. So yeah, when they needed to have mass production, they would do it. But if there's no need for it, they wouldn't do it. You know, if you have enough slaves... That goes down to incentives built into the culture. Yep. And they didn't have their incentives built right to make industrialization look better. And I think the earners, right off the bat, have have had this incentive to, to, to really develop because they were like tossed in the middle of nowhere and said, now survive. It's always been low population density and lots of work to be done. So they would be looking for mechanical leverage every which way they could get it. And they may actually had a few Romans with them. You know, if you're lucky, they had a couple of Romans who knew how to build some things, and that information got passed on down. They could easily have some Roman legionnaires for using a genetic sieve. You know, they're not just going to take the the Germans. They'll take some Romans too, happen to be the right physical form. And depending on the, on the Roman history they were being pulled from, they they may actually have been still Germanic for all we know. <laughs> yeah. Romans citizens were of every nationality they ever conquered. Mm-hmm. If a uh, Germanic slave was freed and then he had kids, his kids would be Romans, and they could go join the legion. They probably didn't speak Germ- the, the local language, but they did. But they, they, they still were of Germ- Germanic bloodlines. <laughs> well, there's a reason why Ident loves them. Okay, and that's the good traits. <laughs> and the good traits are they're hard workers. These guys, you know, you get tired watching these guys. <laughs> They're loyal friends. They're strong. They're humorous. They're wise to nature's ways, and they're inquisitive. And the wise to nature's ways comes out of their pagan background, too. Yeah. Which sort of explains poking to things, because they're inquisitive. So it's like poking to things is, of course, the the flip side of inquisitive. It's just a matter of degree, okay? I'm inquisitive, and as in, I'm I'm inquisitive to the point where you're you're beating me off with a stick. They do grumble, and they tend to stay mad when you get mad. And they... That's also the flip side of that even temperament. They don't get mad fast, but then they don't get over it fast. You let one of these guys get up ahead of steam, and he's going to clean your clock five or six times with that good work ethic. Yeah. So let's look at their personality and views. So Eunice, they think, is a noble idea. Which is to go out and create the new Commonwealth. Yeah, and I did are good friends. So yeah, once you get, once you get a good set of an order fringe worthy, he's going to be by your side all the time. Family's most important, which goes back to that whole tribal background. A little bit further down, it has work is a good idea. Work is good for the soul. Doesn't that mostly come from Protestantism? 
isn't that something that comes from a lot further down this time stream than we're taking these guys? In Christianity, there's a lot of talk about, you know, do your work uh, as unto God and not unto man, means that everything that you do should be an act of worship. Therefore, if you do good work, then you're actually showing worship to your God, and it's therefore good for your soul. I had heard all of these things attached to Protestantism in the uh, 14 and 1500s. I, I hadn't heard that they were coming from earlier than that. I hate to say this, that also was a Roman attitude. I mean, the Roman legionnaires, they worked. They worked hard. If they weren't fighting hard, they were working hard building things. Well, outside of some uh, Polynesian cultures, I don't know too many cultures that said, hey, it's okay, lay back, do nothing. It, it, the work will get done by itself. <laughs> oh, I mean, every culture that I know of is always about taking some guy and put, you know, putting the shoe to his back and saying, come on, work harder, work harder. See, play is with children, so yeah, they, they, they play with their children. But it also means that maybe they're not interested in play as adults. I remember reading something about how for Spartan men, uh, if they didn't work hard in their lives, they didn't get their names written on their uh, gravestones. And for the women, the only time a woman would die, or would be, would have her name put on her gravestone was if she died giving birth to her child because she was overcome by her work. Wow. Ah. <laughs> okay. I'm wondering if you know, they probably wouldn't be interested in playing video games or playing role-playing games like we do. You know, they would see it as a childish behavior. And if these guys work as hard as they do, then maybe they're more into just getting together, singing, you know, drinking and dancing. That play is something that is only for children. It's something you would only do with children. This is plays into that thing that Paul was putting about communal beliefs, because wealth comes with work. Right. How old are they when they start working? At what point do you stop being a child? Well, 200 years ago for the U.S., that was like 12 yeah. yeah, the age of majority would be a good thing to wonder about in this culture. Remember that you were apprenticed to a, a trade at 12 years old, and you were a journeyman and considered an adult at 16. And you probably were married and probably had kids already. Your wife was probably 14. Yeah. 14 to 16. Yeah, for all we know, with, with their lifespan of 58 years, that's probably the, still the same, right, in this culture. I imagine it'd be pretty much the same. What about their social structure? I mean, is it something dishonorable for a female to not be married by the time she's 16? It's looking pretty clannish and almost like uh, Nordic communal living. So women hold status and they might be the hearth holder. So it might be pretty maternal. So it might be a matriarchy? A woman owns the hearth, a woman owns the house, the man brings his tools in. It may be a matriarchy inside the house. But outside where things can eat you, it may be a patriarchy. And that might be an adaption to the low population uh, numbers that uh, we want to keep children and women safer away from the monsters. Yeah, and there might have been a lot of unusual ED monsters when they first came here. I mean, it's, it's an alternate Earth with the same geographical characteristics, but it doesn't mean that there weren't unusual creatures you know, running around. Oh, this is the right time for megafauna. Yeah, megafauna, yeah, oh boy. With no natural fear of humans, that that would be a pain in the butt. All these probably places in North America, if you go there, you go there with, with your biggest gun or your biggest spear or your big or an armored vehicle because they still have things there that I think you're crunchy and, and taste good. And they, if you're just out there walking with your spear in your hand and, you didn't, and nothing else, you get it. John. Yeah? Those same creatures are roaming Europe. That's true. Cave bears, the great, the giant sloth, saber cats. Yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Those those things will look at you and go pretty gulp. The woolly rhino, and giant sloths are bulletproof. They found sloth skin uh, preserved in a, ca in a in a cave. It's an interlocked bony mass of spines and fur, and they figure it probably stop a, a handgun round. No problem. Nothing's bulletproof. You just have to bring a bigger gun. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, yeah, that's just a matter of relative, yeah. 
That's why those old African cartridges had like bronze bullets because it had to penetrate through the skin, through a large layer of fat before it could ever get to the organs and then begin to actually do damage. I see a lot of these things all have to do with family, so which goes into this the, the maintaining a, a, a loose tribal alliance throughout their history. You think maybe clans? Uh, everything being a super family. That I'm staking my claim to Clan of the Cave Bear. But they don't believe in politics. That's weird. Yeah, that's so weird. It depends on what you mean by politics. If we're talking about the, the big politics of going and messing with people on another side of the world, maybe they wouldn't like that. doesn't mean they're not willing to fight it out for who gets to be the top dog in the clan. Saying they're not for politics, I mean, there's everything's politics. Your friendship with another person is a politic. Yeah, but I think you have to look at it in, in conjunction with red tape that follows. Yeah, it, no, I get that. Yeah, the context. I, I think I, I know the spirit of what what he's saying with that. They're, they're not into politics that get in the way. Right. Right, gotcha. I gotcha. Going in and saying, oh, well, we can't do that because that would make our friends angry at us. You'd say, it's the right thing to do. We do it anyways. If they're our friends, they'll understand. Actually, be be more like, well, we can't do that because in the next election, for you know, they start looking at you cross-eyed, going, "What?" And if you said they had to fill out five forms in triplicate, you know, and, and file them, you know, in five different places, they would probably just go, "I'll go get it myself." <laughs> I got to stop by my bunk first, and he comes out with his small combat axe. Yeah, I've cut some red tape. Yeah, <laughs> they're not above a good brawl. So that's why you put one in charge of supply. <laughs> oh, no, I have a feeling I would want him in, in my corner for a fight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you guys ever seen Far and Away? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay, it had Tom Cruise in it as a, an Irishman. He and his brothers were constantly just punching each other. <laughs> and he, he walks and says, hey, how you doing? Whack! I, I this I'd be a little extreme even for this, but I'm just saying is it looks like they they would probably like wrestling and and may, that might be the kind of play that they do like is maybe you know a, a kind of a tempered dust up every once in a while. The Highland Games, yeah. A few hundred or so, you'll find a geeky nerdy one who's looking for his dragon to train. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> But looking down their names, and actually the names sort of tell you what the language looks like. Yosef, only spelt Y-O-S-E-F-F. Oakman, eh, well, that's very German. Um, Gordo, that's Spanish. And Jan Kieber, is, that sounds pretty Jewish to me. Like Jan Kipper? Yeah. Unless it's a, a conversion of Johan. Right. Basically, that's John, not Jan. Gordo actually could have been, you know, something like start out like George or something like that, and it worked and it's got changed. Plus, that's Jan Kuiper. And you got Botcher and Tan Ord. Botker. Botker, yes, yes, Botker. And then Tan Ord and, and Yanni. <laughs> so, do they sound like somebody be a little more fun to play than they did before we did this? Oh, yeah, yeah. I oh, think yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Open up new avenues for playing an character character. Yeah. I've been running this game for 30-some years. Almost nobody in my games has ever played the Urs. In a lot of the other races, and I think it's because we just you know haven't done the work necessary to make these people pop out as, as a culture, as a distinctive people, and, and so people can see the fun in playing them. And that's one reason why we're doing this. So I'm really glad we had this opportunity to throw in our wild and crazy ideas about where they came from, what they were like, you know, what their culture was like, you know, how they might have developed over time. And that's all part of what we do here. I really appreciate all you guys have put into this, giving the players a lot of options because uh, we ignored some of the stuff that was on the portal entry versus was here because there was some things in there that seemed a little bit conflicting. You know, you players out there, you have a lot of uh, options here. To, if you want to go with the straight D&D dwarf thing, you can go for that. 
But you know, I would recommend that you uh, also you know look at the aspects of, of Germanic people and their culture and some of the things that developed for them, and also that they would have a lot of Roman influence and Greek influence coming from the the two known colonies that were on the eastern side of the German landmass. You know, the idea that if you want to borrow from a certain Peter Jackson movie, there's always a few more nodes down the line. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for participating. We will be back to do more interesting stuff like this, but we'll have to wait for another week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. This is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction. No derivatives. And sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts. Because we're some bad mothers. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.